Kia ora, and welcome to Venn Presents, a series of conversations exploring the depth and richness of the Christian tradition between the host Sam Bloor and members of the Venn team and wider Venn community. Each short series of Venn Presents will expand on some of the themes that have emerged from Venn's work, including our programs, events, books, and our monthly publication Common Ground. The topics will be wide-ranging, from exploring Christian faith and doctrine to engagement with wider culture, including family, business, the arts, education, music, and sport. Our hope is that through each series of Venn Presents, you'll be able to reimagine how the gospel might look in the communities and callings you find yourself in today. Now let's go ahead and listen to the latest episode. So welcome back to this three-part podcast series that we are doing on the Ascension, Pentecost and the Church. This is the second session. We're going to be on Pentecost. My name's Sam Bloor and I am sitting here having a conversation with my good friend Nathan McClellan, CEO of Venn. And uh, this is where I get excited, Nathan, as a a Pentecostal. You know, uh, this is my tribe. So we, we lay claim to this doctrine above all others, sometimes with blinkers on. Yeah, and it's a good it's a good doctrine uh, to focus in on. I love the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, yeah, it's really good. In the last session, I said that as you were talking about Jesus going up and sitting at the right hand of the Father, I almost want to continue on and in, mm. into Pentecost, and we disciplined ourselves to mm. talk about just the Ascension last time. But in some ways, there is that natural flow, and Jesus said there would be the natural flow. Mm. I have to go so that... Exactly, to receive the Holy Spirit from the Father to gift to us. There's that that beautiful picture at the end of John's Gospel where Jesus comes to the disciples and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, Mm. And now as the one who's the ascended Lord, the King and Priest over all creation, he now gives us the, the gift of his Holy Spirit. And so there's another descent. We've had an ascent in the ascension, and now there's another descent, and this descent is the descent of the Spirit uh, on, on us, um, the descent of the dove. So if we were just to take a bit of a tangent off and talk about those ascents and descents, there's the descent in the Incarnation. incarnation. There's the. Uh, do you talk about the the ascent to the cross? Not not really, but there's a descent from from the cross, right? Like goes down into. Yeah, well, know, if the, we went to the, the Apostles' the... Creed, it's actually the descent to the realm of the dead. So right. there is even after the ascent to the cross, if we can use that language. Yes. There's the descent to to the realm of the dead, where Christ, I think, uh, enters into. Humanity's full alienation, which is to the point of death. And then we have an ascent in the resurrection. And then, of course, the ascent to the heavenly realm bodily, uh, where he will now receive the Holy Spirit to pour out on all flesh. Yeah. Um, and now this descent of uh, which is taking place at Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit, which and we're going to try and unpack this a little bit, makes sense of a whole lot of scriptures, not least the scripture greater than the, what I've done you will do, which I always was kind of like, got to be kidding, Jesus. The Gospels are just shot through with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But he's sort of saying, yes, but when I pour out my Holy Spirit. And the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lived the 
this is a wonderful moment. I mean, in in the Old Testament, we have instances, right, of the Spirit coming on someone to empower them or to equip them to fulfill a particular task. But at this moment, we have the Spirit come to indwell us mm-hmm. and to unite us uh, to Christ. And this is an incredible thing. It, it's never happened before. It, 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 is, a, it is a moment of, of new creation, um, if we can put it that way. And, and in fact, if you look at the unfolding of the drama of Pentecost uh, in Acts, there are signals that would, would suggest that this is a moment of, of new creation. Um, so, for example, the wind uh, blowing, we, we see this is actually in Genesis 8, where the Lord uh, sends the wind on the waters um, to create a space for Noah and his family. Um, and so this is a kind of moment of new creation after the flood. So we've got a moment of new creation here. Uh, the tongues of fire... Um, I think this is is signaling, this is like the Exodus moment. people of God as they depart from Egypt into the wilderness they are guided by by the tongues of fire so this is a new exodus right we're we're freed from a kind of slavery to sin and death Mm -hmm. and we actually pass through the waters of baptism and we receive the spirit and we set free. We're in, we're in new territory, if I can put it that way. Yes. And certainly, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when we go to the church, we are going to see that this group of people, they do live differently. Yes. And then I think just one other helpful metaphor, seeing we've gone back to the Old Testament a few times, or yes. image, is this is a reversal of Babel. Right. So yes. Babel, uh, Genesis 11, uh, God comes down and confuses the people by giving them different languages. Here we have the multiplicity of languages, but people in their own tongues hear these believers praising God. And so there's a there's a sense of unity even in the diversity of the different different voices. I mean it's not surprising, right? You've got wind, you've got fire, you've got tongues. Why why some people Asked, are these guys drunk? Yeah, <laughs> it's a yeah, pretty a crazy lot, moment. Going on. But when yeah. when we when we put this episode in the context of the Old Testament, it does does make sense. Moment of new creation, moment of uh, a new Exodus, and then the reversal of Babel. It's pretty pretty incredible. And the Spirit of God comes and dwells with us. So before we go on and actually maybe expand on what some of the specifics of that mean and again we don't want to cannibalize our our talk we we are going to in our third episode get into talk about some of the specifics of the church this is the second one on pentecost i should say at this point that we may even try and come up with some song and hymn lyrics that match as we go uh, throughout this as well so if you pick up on some of them as we as we go if we can find some and at the very least we'll try to go out on a on a song that's appropriate um 
But as we uh, come to that, maybe give us again the sort of the pithy definition of this as a as a as a doctrine or, or, or the you know the the moment of the, the giving of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of Life. So I think that's re- a really helpful description. In other words, God comes to dwell with us, and we are now united with the life of God uh, because the Spirit unites us with Jesus, and because of that, we're united with the Father as well. I mean, this is what's being talked about in John 17, right? The Father and I are one, and because we find ourselves uh, united to Christ, we are now joined to the triune life, mysterious though that is, Um Jesus is the the son of the father by nature, but we are now children of God, sons and daughters of the living God by adoption because the spirit now indwells us. Mm. Um, that's why, as Romans 8 says, we cry out, yes. Abba, Father. Yes. So it's actually, like when you really ponder these things, it's amazing to think that we now have been incorporated into the life of God. Um, because of the work of the Spirit. Maybe one way to start unpacking a few of the things that are going on here is to focus in on maybe some of the things that that Pentecostal churches have historically focused in on Hmm. and uh, that have, you know, um, certainly not called it their own as though they've got a monopoly on it, but they certainly emphasise those things. Some might say overemphasise some of them. But there's this idea of of power, of God's empowering presence. That's the name of Gordon Fee's book. And uh, we can focus in on what some of the, the, the actual power things are, the healing that you saw happen through Acts, you know, the some of the apostles' shadow falling on people and them being, uh, being healed. Um, the sorts of things that are talked about as some of the, the, the power gifts out of Corinthians, you know, mm-hmm. words of knowledge, words of mm-hmm. uh, where you're actually able to, to, with real prophetic insight, bring bring um, the word of the Lord uh, to a situation, to a person, to a congregation, uh, to build up the, the community of believers. Uh, and so this idea of sort of God, you know, the same power that raised Christ from the dead now indwells you, I think is one of the great reminders uh, of Pentecostal churches. Uh, but as... J.I. Packer says in the introduction to his book on keeping in step with the Spirit, it's supernatural everything. Mm, it's mm. not just supernatural mm. healings, but the the church wouldn't still be around 2,000 years later if the Spirit hadn't continued to draw people to the Father. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad of the gift that the Pentecostal movement has... Um, the gifts that that movement has brought to the church, to the people of God, I'm I'm very grateful for the charismatic um, renewal that really swept through mainline uh, denominations. Mm. Um, my own uh, particular church heritage, which is Anglican, was was incredibly blessed by that, and I have experienced some of the benefits of that firsthand. And I think I've I've received the the benefit myself of these gifts that are outlined in um, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, I, I think I've actually experienced them in my own life for others as well. Yes. And I think that's been very good. But I, I do think J.I. Packer, uh, one of my theological teachers, is so right that the Spirit empowers for the Christian all of our life and work. 
and while we've had a, a, a greater appreciation for these gifts, we mustn't forget the, the fact that the Lord, the Spirit of God, can empower our hospitality. Yes. Or our teaching. Or our parenting. And yeah. we could just go uh, on. Yeah. Uh, that those things are, when the Spirit of God indwells us, are empowered in, in fresh fresh ways. Um, and so we don't, what we don't want to do, right, is we want to divide up a, a realm in which we say, hey, this is the Holy Spirit's activity through us and its yep. particular gifts and talents. And yes. then there's another realm where the Spirit is not operative. I don't think that's a helpful understanding. Yes. But rather, now that we're indwelt by the Spirit, all of our uh, tasks, activities, should be in, empowered by the Spirit of God. So I think it's a really helpful uh, reminder. So I'm glad you picked up on hospitality. I was actually, uh, I've given a sermon in the last few weeks on this because it, we've just gone through this time in the church of Pentecost and, and we are looking at this at our church at St. Paul's in Auckland. And I was actually going to do it on the on the power, you know, the, the, the power looking at some of the gifts um, that, as you say, are in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. But actually, as I was looking at that, I was kind of going, man, to be honest, one of one of the things I, I struggle with is, is a radical hospitality and a radical, you know, we just spent eight, 12 weeks being exhorted to be, be kind to each other uh, via even road signs. Now, I would drive down the motorway, it's sort of be kind, you know, and under COVID conditions, let's be kind. Um, the problem's never been the idea of kindness. Mm. It's the fact that you actually need to be empowered mm. to be kind for anything. If your kindness is ultimately going to look cruciform for any length of time, mm. uh, you're going to have to be drawing on some source of power that's not your own mm. uh, in order to do that. And so, in fact, I went back to just talk about this and empowering everything. So I'm glad you've picked up on that. We'll get to that more next week uh, when we talk about the church. Well, I think one of the things just to note there, too, is the call to be continually filled with the Spirit as well. Um, one of the, maybe one of the shadow sides, if we can put it that way, of um, some strands of Pentecostal and charismatic teaching as we would associate it with one moment. Yes. But I, I think if we go to the end of, say, Ephesians, where we're encouraged to be filled with the Spirit, Yes. The sense here is con continuously. Yes. And that makes so much sense to me because the reality is we need the Spirit's ongoing empowerment in our lives to be kind, to be hospitable, to be patient, to be gentle, and so on and so forth, right? Yes. it's It's got to be that continual empowering yes. that we need to live the Christian life. Yes. Two things I had to unpack a number of times with students over the years. One was this kind of fixation on uh, the idea of a baptism in the Holy Spirit, mm. uh, second blessing, whatever you want to call it, mm. uh, was just, oh, what does that look like and have I had it and, and things. And actually I can point to several times in my life where, where something quite um, 
significant. Significant has happened. Out of the ordinary has, has happened. And I appreciate that it's not out of the ordinary for everyone. Sometimes, mm. it, for some people, it's a lot more subtle. Uh, in my case, God was having to actually speak to me in quite a clear way to change ultimately my my sense of direction vocationally and so something quite significant happened but I would definitely sort of say it's it's not a one-off and, and the fixation that certain denominations Pentecostal denominations would have when was the moment that you got this kind of baptism or second blessing but actually to say it's it can happen more in a more varied way than that uh, and then secondly what's the evidence of it and that was the other thing that that certain churches used to get hung up on quite a bit you know and tongues would in mm-hmm. inevitably become the thing that was evidence mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit and one of the things that I would sometimes go back and remind um, you know friends of or students of um, around this was when modern-day Pentecostalism is, is is broadly believed to have started with the Azusa Street revival in LA uh, William the, Seymour, right? William Seymour, mm. yeah, 1906 to 1909. Mm. There was this phenomenal outpouring of the Spirit, and it birthed dozens of churches, thousands of missionaries went through that and were sent out around the globe in, in a remarkable uh, kind of reinvigorating of the church through what happened there. Uh, Seymour was a very humble man. He was an African-American. Uh, he had been blinded in one eye several years earlier by actually um, uh, ca- catching um, scarlet fever. Uh, he had to attend Bible college sitting in the hallway uh, because uh, he wasn't able to attend the class with the white students. Uh, so a very humble kind of um, man and, and, and humble story. He was always asked what the evidence was of the of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, and he kind of like, well, is, is it tongues, is it tongues, and this sort of fixation. He believed in it. He spoke in tongues himself uh, from time to time. Uh, but he said, look, you know, the evidence of this happening isn't so much that people are rolling around in some of our meetings on the floor worshipping God in tongues, uh, but actually that um, African-Americans and, and whites and, you know, Latinos and men and women old and young, um, educated and illiterate, rich and poor, they're all rolling around on the floor speaking in tongues. And so again, it's a a point back to Babel. It's a point back to the original Pentecost. This is for everyone. Yeah. and it's the unity that it produces, yes. um, but it's the it's the sort of the unity in diversity, mm. and this is for everyone. It's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, a love song born of a grateful. This is the picture that we get at several points in Scripture, right, of mm. the diversity of the people of God, but united um, by the work of of, of the Spirit. Um, yes. In a way that that diversity is not obliterated, but rather is brought to together in a rich way in the in the life that we now share in. In, in the spirit and it, it is a sure mark right the unity that we experience even though we're so different is a sure mark of of the spirit's work amongst us 
Yeah, and I mean, the sad thing to note is that actually it didn't take long for others to want to try and wrestle control out of his hands, uh, with well, William Seymour's hands and others, and there was a breakdown and splintering, and before you long you had a lot of denominations actually fragmenting off mm. that, ironically. It's one um, of the tragedies, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, and, and, and yet alongside that, it's the fastest growing movement around the, around the globe at the moment, the global mm. south. It's, it's really that Pentecostal posture mm. that has really just, you know, uh, swept through Asia, Africa, Central and South America, and, and is still going. And as Packer says, shows no sign of abating because the spirit blows where it will. Yeah, you know, I think one of the one of the things about um, the charismatic renewal that I think uh, when it came into the Anglican Church and my my parents were involved in that, and the, and therefore I grew up in a church where. My dad would run life in the spirit seminars, and we would we would see the the fruit of that. One of the things that that movement, and I think the Pentecostal movement, brought before it is, it, is actually a real expectation that God will do something in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, that there there is an anticipation that because the Spirit of God is amongst us, that he he will be present and he will be doing certain things and I think that that postures the people of God in a way that we we are we are open and I do think that's one of the gifts yes that has come from um, this this movement and it's one of the things actually that did unite people from various church backgrounds and that they'd had this this renewing work of the spirit in their lives, and they were able to come come together um, to pray and to worship and to expect God to move in their midst. Uh, yeah, it's incredible, actually. Um, James K. A. Smith, Jamie Smith, has written a book called Thinking in Tongues, and mm-hmm. we both appreciated where in that book he identifies some things that have really been gifts of that denomination. It's the church stream that he grew up in was a sort of a charismatic uh, stream. And just sort of that is the first feature he identifies is just this openness to God's Mm. doing something uh, maybe different in our midst. Mm. And he says, you know, you see that with Peter standing up Mm. and actually saying, hey, these men aren't drunk, as you suppose. Mm. Uh, This is the spirit. Mm. And he says that that moment of sort of what he calls hermeneutical boldness Mm. to actually say this is it's discerning. This is something that God is, is doing. Of course, he goes on to critique uh, the way Pentecostals can want to camp at a moment of surprise too. You know, <laughs> Come Holy Spirit and surprise us tonight like you did last night and the night before and mm-hmm. almost trying to remanufacture mm-hmm. something. The other critique I would bring is someone who's spent a long time in that and they're my people so I love them and I bring this critique with, with, with real love is a su- suspicion of anything traditional. Mm-hmm. And I think the benefit of, say, what your parents experienced Mm. was this ability to hold together when the charismatic movement came through Anglicanism Mm. to hold the new alongside and not necessarily or definitely not jettisoning everything of the old. Totally. And I think one of the things that uh, my particular tradition, um, when it was renewed by the Spirit, continued to have a high view of as the sacraments. Baptism and, and the Eucharist, and my maybe I'll, I'll park baptism for the moment because we probably don't have time to talk about both. But if we just actually go to 
to communion or the Eucharist. Mm. I would want to say that this is actually a, a moment in which I believe that God by the Spirit is present to us in the elements of bread and wine, such that when we do eat them, we feed on Christ in our lives and we receive grace and our union with Christ is strengthened so that we are able to, um, in the power of the Spirit, follow the Lord Jesus more faithfully in the world. So for me, (laughs) as uh, an Anglican, Mm. who uh, appreciates the gift of the charismatic renewal to our tradition, also wants to place that alongside a high view of the sacraments of baptism and of Holy Communion or the Eucharist. And that um, is also a moment where we actually acknowledge and believe that the Spirit is is operating. Mm. Um, So... I mean, in many ways, I think the charismatic renewal um, has enriched many uh, traditional denominations' understanding of the sacraments, mm-hmm. which is a very good thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you've heard me talk about this before. The three things I value about my own particular church tradition is is a high view of um, the scripture and of yep. preaching. Yes. A high view of the work of the Spirit amongst us and a high view of the liturgical shape of life, of the church's life, the church calendar um, of um, <laughs> of the sacraments, yes. of, of set prayers, of liturgy. And, and that's because we believe uh, the Spirit of God is is working through all of those things to bring us to maturity in Christ, that we can follow the Lord Jesus faithfully in the world. Yeah, yeah. Holy Spirit, give us, give us each a lowly mind. Make us more like Jesus, gentle, pure, and I'm going to use Jamie Smith again as my kind of um, prompt here. Uh, the the features of this kind of Pentecostal posture. One of the things he goes after is it it, it re reminds us um, the the outpouring of the Spirit reminds us that we we live in a charged cosmos. It's charged with the Spirit's presence, and then. Smith would say it's also charged with the presence of other spirits. Mm-hmm. And again, this is one of the gifts, I think, of that of that posture, uh, that we become aware that there are definitely <laughs> times where we can say alongside, um, you know, the, 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 the writer of the epistles, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, mm-hmm. but against principalities and mm-hmm. powers. There's mm-hmm. something going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think is, this is, again, one of the things... It's always been there in the church's tradition is there is a spiritual realm that's in alienation to God, the demonic realm. Um, But one of the things I think um, the Pentecostal movement and uh, the charismatic renewal have made us aware of that. Um, And and as you know, in some of my own teaching, with appropriate balance and discipline, I'm trying to help the people of God to become aware of this other realm because I don't actually think we can make sense of our lives unless we 
we acknowledge that we do have a wrestle against a spiritual realm that's an alienation from God. Um, But he who is in us, right, is greater. Yes, yes. And I think um, this is, again, one of the things we need to remind ourselves because we have been empowered by the Spirit, we are able to resist temptation. We are able to resist uh, the work of the enemy in our lives. Um, so something that that Pentecost has also given us. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't meaning to suggest then that it starts with the Pentecostal movement. In fact, you and I have both uh, come across material from the, like the Catholic Church, where you know certainly in, in pocket they never lost that there, there was a there was a real a, sort of a contention going on, a, yeah. a, a battle going on. Uh, you certainly see that in the Gospels. I mean, it's just yes. a showdown with, you know, <laughs> people crying, like sort of, you know, um, people crying out, you know, we know who you are, as in like something from the demonic realm doing that. Mm. And indeed in Acts as well, you see that um, see that going on. It's in the baptismal vows too of, of, of a lot of liturgical denominations where you're called upon to renounce um, the devil and his power. So even mm. at that moment... <laughs> Of, of baptism, um, either the candidate himself or herself or, or the parents and godparents are called upon to, to renounce that realm. So there has always been this recognition uh, that, it, that it's there. Mm, yeah. When your enemy presses in heart, do not fear. The battle belongs to the Lord. Take courage, my friend, your redemption is near. Your battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. Maybe one thing to, to, to finish on, and again, I don't want to start from a negative uh, framing, uh, but hopefully we won't stay there long and we can move to it framed more positively but a friend was asking me the other day what I thought of and I'm not going to name the specific denomination but just uh, a, a group of churches that has been known really you might put them under the prosperity gospel kind of banner what did I think of them they were actually interviewing someone for a position and was kind of like what's what's that all about the, that sort of prosperity thing and I said well look I'd, I'd want to start from a point of of actually saying there is actually much as I'd bring a critique to this getting out of balance, there is something really positive about the prosperity side of things. As in, God cares about our material lives. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just care about (laughs) where we end up spiritually. Mm. He cares about Mm. uh, people going without. He cares about whether you're clothed or not, whether you're getting food to eat or not. Just as some aspects of the prosperity gospel can, you know, get a bit too fixated on healing, but God actually cares about the health of your body too. And so, uh, again, I think you see this almost immediately at Pentecost. Um, uh, you know, healings are taking place. People are being looked after um, materially. Now, that's actually coming through s- some pretty supernatural generosity, uh, too, I might add. It's a, not rad- just a radical sort of, economic ethic. Yeah, yes. it's not just, you know, hey, Spirit, bless me with a with a Porsche in the driveway. It's, it's definitely <laughs> not that. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, but the, the good part of that impulse is that there's no, in some ways, there's no dualism between God caring about the spiritual side of my life, but not 
the not the physical side. It can get imbalanced. Mm. I, I grant you that, yeah. um, but actually the impulse is a good one. I think. Yeah, and I think the the doctrine of the incarnation reveals that God does care about the material world. It, 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 there's more going on there than than just that. But the fact that God and the person of Jesus Christ takes on human a human nature that's an affirmation of the bodily of the material mm-hmm. and the fact that God sends his spirit on on humanity is again an affirmation mm-hmm. of that as is the fact that um, Christ's physical body was raised to life. The resurrection that, too, that yeah. That body yeah. is still there in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And because of Christ's resurrection, we anticipate our own bodily resurrection. In other words, our salvation will not be complete until we are reunited with our bodies, albeit that these bodies will be transformed. Um but there is an affirmation of the bodily. And therefore, because of that, there has to be an affirmation of um, God's provision for our bodily needs. Well, look, in some ways we have already covered off some aspects of the church. Very hard to completely separate, isn't it, Pentecost from the church. And in some ways we've, we've, we've been dropping hints at it already and covered some of that ground. It's going to be great to turn our attention fully uh, to the church in the next session. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks for, thanks for coming for part two. Thank you, Sam. Yeah.